0: Good morning, Pete Giuliano. It is Friday, the 17th of June, 2022. And that makes us, what's the number, Pete?
1: Number 238. 238. Crank it in, Robert. Crank it in, Ralph.
0: Crank it in, fellas. Crank it in. Off to a a good start here this morning. First of all, some future travelogue, Pete. Travelogue looking into the future. Because we're all about the future here on Solder Smoke. And I am—I have been engaged in what I call cathartic decluttering. Ooh! Cathartic decluttering—it makes you feel better when you start you're, decluttering. You're getting rid
1: shack. of the s es
0: I'm only getting rid of one of them, <laughs> okay. so I feel like I feel like like Solomon from the Bible. You know, he, had to, he decided to cut the baby in half. I am cutting the shack in half. Ooh! And you would think you would think if I did that. First of all, why am I doing that? Because we are creating, Pete what I think is going to refer, be referred to as SSSS, Ooh. Solder Smoke Shack South, Ooh. SSSS. Okay, you, you heard the acronym here first. So for a while, Elisa and I have been planning on going down to the Dominican Republic, her home country, during the winter months. So we're getting a place down there. It's good because it lets her take care of her her, her aging mom close by. home country. We like the place. It's winter. It's nice there in the winter.
1: You speak the language.
0: speak the language. (laughs) Lived there before. It's going to be great. Um, So we're getting all that set up. But but one thing I said is I, I have to have a ham shack down there. You know, you can't be without a ham shack. So I started looking around and I realized what I should do is just take half of everything that I have here. Everything. Parts, tools, test gear, rigs, antennas everything half so i have in the other room these big plastic boxes and every time i see something that i should have down there also so for example i saw my 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 resistor collection all right carefully selected resistors i told meiser mauser send me another one they go into the box i have two s38 e's Nobody needs two S38Es. Not even
1: one.
0: Nobody <laughs> needs one. So, but anyway, I put one of them in the box. I have a whole bunch of X's. Half of the Xs went into the box. How about
1: um, the j 600
0: No, that's going to stay here. That's going to stay. That's going to stay here. Um, the DX100 will also stay here. Believe me, for good reasons. Um, but anyway, so we're, we're moving everything. And it's, you know, the scary thing is, though, Pete, I've already probably taken out about a quarter of the stuff that I have here in the shack. But I don't notice any difference. It looks just I, as bad. I, I don't either. <laughs> you can see it. It looks terrible. I don't either. <laughs> so I tell my wife, I said, honey, look, I've gotten rid of all this stuff. And she's like, where? Where did it, where did it go? Where was it? But So I think I'm going to have to do some more cathartic decluttering. But that's the... Um, that's what's going on. Everything, half of everything must go south. I've also reestablished contact with my buddies from the Dominican Radio Club. And this is really cool. They're helping me get my Dominican license and, uh, or actually, a, a, a kind of a, a, a reciprocal license arrangement that we could use that I used before. Before I was N2CQR stroke HI8, I am now going to be N2CQR stroke HI7. Mm. But you know, similar but different. It's gonna be, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. So we'll, we'll be down there probably next winter, but we're getting going. Hey, Pete, before we go, we have to, we have to talk a little bit about our sponsor. Yes. Parts Candy, Carlos out there in Chicago. Look at them. I even have. You could see them on the video. Look at that man. Look at those. Nice. Look at those test leads. Nice. They're beautiful colors, and you know, we were talking about how important these um, test leads are when troubleshooting and stuff. You know, and I think you and I both have been talking about the disappointment that comes or the, the frustration that comes when you're trying to troubleshoot a rig, something you built or something old that you're working on, and you use a, a test lead to sort of connect power to a, a particular stage. And you think, oh, well, now, now look, it's not working. So, ha, maybe this stage is not getting something wrong in there it's not getting power and then you realize that the reason it's not getting power is the test lead that you're using is so cheap that they didn't even they didn't even solder the alligator clip to the wire they just crimped it they crimped it through the insulation holy cow that is really hit and miss it might work a couple times not work a couple times i guess the 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 phrase that we want to use for this this in this episode of solder smoke is don't scrimp on the crimp, or don't scrimp Ooh, with the crimp. Nice, don't scrimp nice. with a crimp. I want a trademark on that one. But um, anyway, what we're saying is that you should use the the test leads from Parts Candy. Our, our buddy Carlos out there in Chicago, one of us, an electronics tinkerer, he's got his own business there, and he hand solder's the wires to the alligator clips. So when you get a test lead from Carlos and Parts Candy. You know that that connection is going to be good when you put that lead in there and connect power to a stage through one of Carlos's test leads. You know power is actually getting there, and the problem, if there's a problem, is in the stage you're testing, and not in the test lead that you connected there. So this is this is really important. Carlos has got a, a kind of a growing variety of test leads available not only for with alligator leads but different sizes of alligator leads and also test the kind of test leads that you'd want to connect an oscilloscope up to or something like that all all of his his products are available and you could see them on his um, on his eBay site just search for parts candy one word on on eBay I have the link up I'm going to put it up here on the uh, on the blog page it's basically www.ebay.com/ USR slash parts candy. But if you want to get to them even quicker, just go to the solder smoke blog on the left hand side. You'll see the leads there. Click on the picture. The colorful test leads, boom, it takes you right to Carlos's page. Buy some of his test gear and remember what I said. Don't scrimp with a crimp. Get a real test lead from Carlos. Pete, your bench. I know you've been busy. You've got you've got heavy family responsibilities lately. Yes. But but you still I, I can still tell that the N six QW mind is, is at work exploring the, the corners of radio. So what have you yes. been, what have you been finding, Pete?
1: Well well first of I have a little story to share with you about something that occurred yesterday. And in some ways it's a little scary and in some ways it's a backhanded compliment. I received an email From a friend of mine in the UK. Who was in receipt of an email. From a Chinese service that registers URLs. And they wanted to know if it was okay to register n6qw.com.cn. Which means it's in China. Or n6qw.cn. China. And they said they looked at the national registry and they already saw an N6QW.com and wondered if this was a problem. So why did the guy in the UK get this and not me, (laughs) which is kind of interesting. And so I think the common link is um, the direct conversion receiver, the MC1496. This particular ham in the UK is mentioned in there in a link that he developed some Gerber files for the MC-1496 direct conversion receiver. Aha. So you're adding two and two. <laughs> <Aha>. <laughs> so someday soon, you're going to see the MC-1496 direct conversion receiver. Hundreds
0: ed- of millions of people will be using this in China, Pete.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so so anyway, it got a little worrisome about it, do that. So I called GoDaddy and said, what's the story? He said, well, first of N6QW.com, Belongs to you, so they're not going to get their hands on that. But they do this frequently. They do this and then they start building stuff, and it looks like, yeah, connect to n6qw.cn. So it looks like I'm set up in business in China. So it's kind of a backhanded company.
0: It's going to be like you and Alibaba, and you're going to be amazingly rich. It's great. I mean, I think it's... No! <laughs>
1: no! You get take it out of the equation. They just I, steal the design.
0: <laughs> what this, this raises something I want to ask about. And Dean, KK4DAS, and I have been talking about this. This business about counterfeit parts. Yeah, terrible. I mean, wait a second. But, but when you think about it, how much money could they make from making counterfeit IRF 510s, right? And especially IRF 510s that don't work. Who would go to the trouble of making... The only thing I could think of is that perhaps they were trying to do sort of knockoff IRF 510s, their own IRF 510s, with the the intention that they would work. And then for and some then they reason didn't. they don't and they still try to sell them or something like that. Yeah. But but the idea that there's people out there sort of like, wah-ha-ha, ha, we, you know, we will counterfeit the any 602 chip and sell them to the unsuspecting radio amateurs. I, I just don't, I mean, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of money in that.
1: Yeah. Well, so a word of the wise here, if you've got a website, and you want to kind of protect it, you might take you might take ownership of the related URLs. Like yesterday, I bought n6qw.net. Oh yeah. So so I have n6qw.com n6qw.net. I mean, you can buy them all if you want to, but but this is a common practice, and so
0: just something to be aware of. Huh. Anyway, oh, anyway, it's kind so, of I mean, a solder. Bad. I got I got to check out solder smoke. It's probably <laughs> yeah. it's probably being you know. Used all over <laughs>
1: Well, we know they're making candles.
0: <laughs> they're what?
1: <laughs> they're making candles. Oh, the can- giant- and,
0: per- and perfume in Cologne. Perf-
1: yeah, in Wimberley, Texas. Yeah.
0: That's it. <laughs> yeah. Good, good stuff out there, yeah. Okay. okay, so
1: this brings us around to cycle 25. You're,
0: you're going you're, you're to be like a wet blanket here, Pete. I'm holding out hope, man. I'm holding out well, hope. For,
1: first of a little history. A little history here. There is a group that looks at this this prediction of the cycle and about a couple years ago they predicted cycle 25 is actually going to be worse than cycle 24. It's going to have less of a peak and this this coordination group now admittedly it's it's a consensus not unanimous
0: I mean, you know so, what this calls to mind is Donald Sutherland in that in that film about World War two where he was complaining about negative vibes. Yeah. You're sending me negative Ke- Ke- vibes? Kelly's, Pete.
1: Kelly's hero. Kelly's hero. What? Negative vibes? Clint Eastwood, man. Yeah. Stop with the negative. <laughs> well, go ahead. Go ahead. So, anyway, this group said cycle 25 is going to be only 115 peak. And cycle 19 was 300. So, it's twice as much.
0: I was born more. during cycle 19. Yeah, yeah. You were on stuff. the air during oh, yeah, cycle yeah. 19.
1: Yeah, I remember. So, anyway, um, cycle 25 is has been predicted and noaa went along say yeah we agree with that the, the consensus of the group there is a dissident group off to the side here who doesn't believe that and and it's led by a guy by the name of scott mcintosh dr scott mcintosh and he's with some observatory in colorado
0: and the rebels he's,
1: yeah he's predicting and they're showing some charts here, that cycle 25 looks like this, and they're showing that it's off to the side. But something interesting, I've now taken an interest in looking at this, and I gotta tell you, I'm not seeing what, what they're predicting. For one thing, I can set up my SDR to look at 384 kilohertz on 20 meters, so I can look all across the band. The other day, I saw six signals, six signals, and I know my radio is working. And I know my antenna's working. I saw six signals. That's not indicative of a hot Cycle 25. The other thing that I looked at, and this is worth worth looking at in detail. Uh, one guy that listens to our podcast and regulating communication actually does this as a day job. Said, yeah, you're missing some, some things there, Pete. He said, you're missing this point. And then he talked about sporadic E. He says it may be effects of a sporadic E uh, at this time, and it'll clear up in August. But if you look at a um, maximum usable frequency map or you look at the propagation map, the East Coast is doing great. There are no signals on the left coast. I mean, it's devoid. And so I said, okay, maybe it's time of day. So I looked at this map, this propagation map, at about five different times during the day, you know, like early in the morning, mid-morning, noon, mid-afternoon, early evening. And there was hardly any signals, yet you look on the East Coast, and it's loaded. I mean, they're, they're making past to Europe and all over. So someone sitting on the East
0: Coast says, band looks good to me. You know why this is? You know why? No. Because AWRL headquarters is in Newington, Connecticut. Oh, yeah, there you go.
1: There <laughs> <laughs> you go. There you go. There you go. There you, you go. So anyway. There's a the, there's a splinter group says it's going to be big, but take a listen. And if you have an SDR that you can look across the spectrum, take a look at. And if you're not seeing the signals, there's not the propagation. And you know I, what I you I know, know what I
0: do? S- I do something similar. I mean, all of my all of my receivers and rigs here are either home brewed by me, which makes them suspect, or ancient. Built by helicrafters or Hammerland back in the 1950s or 60s, which also makes them suspect. So sometimes, if I hear that things don't sound quite right, <laughs> there's a really good possibility that it's the, the rig that I built or the old rig that's sort of failing. But there's a guy, Mehmet, NA5B, who has a Web SDR, which is located just about nine miles east of me in Washington, D.C., and he has some really excellent Web SDR receivers. And so just as sort of a gut check, I will, cl- I will log on to, to Mehmet's receiver and see what he is seeing and hearing at, at his location. And that gives me a gut check. But I, I agree with you. Sometimes there's been a lot of times where the bands are just, just terrible. A lot of times it's because there's been flare activity that's, and the flares are raising the A index up really high. So there's a lot of absorption So forty meters is dead and even, you know, twenty and seventeen are affected. But they're expecting
1: a blackout today.
0: Yeah, it's it's so that that is pretty pretty disappointing. We gotta hold on to hope though, Pete. We gotta hold on to hope. I I don't. don't I know. I don't
1: then then I looked at I, I saw if I could find this chart again, I thought it was kinda kinda cool. And I have not been able to locate it again. I said, Oh yeah, I can find that. Someone has done done a chart on a 24-hour basis, every hour, and they've looked at all the zones in the world. And it was interesting to see the east coast of the United States was seeing a muff of 17 meters. The left coast, the highest it saw at any time during the day was 7 megahertz, and most of the time it was around 4 to 5 over a 24-hour period. Hmm. So... It's actually selective, so you got to be careful when they say, "Oh yeah, sunspot cycle twenty-five is going to be great." It depends where you're at.
0: That's really I strange. Can,
1: I can remember when I lived in Seattle, we thought we were in a hole, a black hole. <laughs> There'd be times where there was no propagation to Seattle, and yet there was propagation to the United States, and it was not a matter of moving, the time moving, you know, the gray line and all this BS. Real world. If you got an SDR, or do like you do with Mehmet, take a look. And if you don't see the signals there, that tells you something. That That's more realistic than say, oh, here's my graph, and it's yeah, going to work." That, that, that's hear.
0: really, the, we, we, we hope that the, the gurus on this will sort of explain how this could possibly be, that the West Coast is being affected the way it is. But, I mean, that's, you know, wow. Sporadic really-
1: air, the answer was sporadic E. It's going to improve in August. Well, I'll hold my breath. For so long. <laughs> sure are going to put a crimp in my field day, acting. My
0: two hours of field know. day. We're going we're gonna to talk about that in a, in a, in a, in a second. But you okay. also, you also been looking into something really interesting that is sort of near and dear to yeah. me. And that is that Chiquita bananas are United Fruit in Honduras and the radio network that they set up early on. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. Well, you got to talk about two pieces. Uh, you got to talk about the U.S. Navy. So there's really. Uh, Chiquita Banana and the U.S. Navy are really important things. First of, we have and we should thank the U.S. Navy for what we've been able to do in the handbands. And what I mean by that is when radio was first saw as a possibility of being widespread use in the United States, the Navy took the lead as early as 1898. 1898, they had Marconi come over working under Navy supervision Sing about putting radios aboard ships and and the navy established shore stations on the east coast and the west coast by by 1904 or five a lot of there were 20 to 30 ships had radios on them the, the range was limited because of the frequencies they were using as a matter of fact i didn't know this but the uss chicago was parked off of san francisco when they had the earthquake it was the only communications link <laughs> they had in, in 2006, 1906, wow. April 18, 1906. The USS Chicago was relaying radio signals about the status of the earthquake. So, I mean, it goes way back. But what happened was the hams started up. And, of course, we think about 1914 and Hiram Percy Maxim and the ARRL. The guys were kind of wandering into the Navy frequencies, which is at the low end. So the Navy says, we'll fix you. So, they had a law passed that says hams can only operate 200 meters and down.
0: That's right. Thank
1: you for the gift. <laughs> thank you for the gift. <laughs> yeah, thank the you Navy strikes the again. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the gift. But the Navy was really, really very involved in, in all. That. Matter of fact, Teddy Roosevelt put the Navy in charge of all the frequency allocations. And so, for up to about 1920, anything radio was the Navy. U.S. Navy had charge of that, so it was really kind of interesting. So this brings up Chiquita Banana. Now, the United Fruit Company, as early as the early 1900s, was establishing operations in Central America with a banana trade. And they had all these ships and everything else, and they realized the delivery of bananas is very critical because they're they're a time-sensitive product. You pick the banana, and it ain't too long before it's brown. <laughs> right. So how do you get it from here to there? And, of course, the communication becomes a very important thing. So they looked at getting radio systems, and there were two companies at the time, Marconi and Telefunken. But Marconi was kind of heavy-handed. If you signed up with Marconi, He supplied the equipment, he supplied the operators, you did nothing. All you did is pay for the service. And the same thing with Telefunken. So United Fruit Company's predecessor to Chiquita Banana said, that's no good. So they got involved buying their own radio equipment, radio stations, and establishing them in Central Central America because their two principal shipping points were the United States, principally Louisiana, New Orleans, Mm -hmm. and then also into Europe so they had this extensive radio system as a matter of fact they spent an equivalent of about 68 million dollars in today's dollars putting radios aboard ships and establishing all these shore stations so they can keep in touch with the radios so where chikina banana enters the picture is in 1919 the navy gathered up a group of companies including at&t general electric Westinghouse and United Fruit Company and they said, we want you to form the Radio Corporation of America. And the reason for this is 1919 was just after World War I. The Navy realized the vulnerability that we had because a lot of the radio equipment was not made here in the United States, but Marconi, mm. offshore, Telefunken, in England. So they saw this as a vulnerability, and they said, can't, can't have that. Not You know, kind of look at the after-action report, can't have no. that. So they said, we're going to set up RCA. And as it turned out, they made General Electric the major stockholder. So RCA was owned by General Electric Company because they had the controlling interest in the stock, which we find kind of interesting because later on, General Electric and RCA are making tubes. General Electric and RCA are making transistors, but yet RCA is the principal stockholder. But the United Fruit got involved because they had invested all this money and they were a big time player in, in radio in this, this tropical network that they had. So it's really kind of interesting to see that ancillary to that. So then, because they had the radio network, they start selling radio services. So if you, want, if you were a private individual and wanted to communicate by radio, you went to United Fruit Company and they had all the contacts in the station. As a matter of fact, uh, their banana ships, they bought a lot of surplus uh, military equipment that you could carry passengers. So someone says, why don't we carry bananas and people? <laughs> so a lot of the tourism that was developed early on into Central America, United Fruit Company, Chiquita Banana. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting to see how these guys, matter of fact, in one case of one of the countries, uh, there was not such a good tax situation, so the guy had of United Fruit hired some mercenaries, they went in and <laughs> they took over a country, re-established the old president, and then they got a... You know special arrangement for taxation what have you to circumvent
0: <laughs> yeah well, there's, there's always been a lot there's always been like a really special connection between Honduras and New Orleans because and, it, and a lot of it goes yeah. back to the early early banana yeah. trade and I, I I lived in Honduras for several years so no know the place really really yeah. well very interesting interesting history you put up I, I found a link this morning when I was looking about the creation of RCA and it's exactly as you describe. I put that up on the on the on the blog page. You'll you'll see that. So really, really kind of cool stuff there, uh, and how commerce often drives things. Yeah,
1: let's. We didn't even talk about ITT.
0: <laughs> and, you know, and, and but what, what, what you said about the navy's misgivings is 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 really interesting, and and it turned out that they were were wise. Uh-huh. <laughs> I put up a blog post about Marconi's proclivities and loyalties yes. that was uh, really yes. kind of surprising we have a tendency to kind of lionize him but um, there were reasons to be concerned that played out yes. especially during the 20s and prior to his death in the 1930s so yeah interesting stuff there's hey, also
1: a co- connection with Tulane University Oh yeah, the, the, the president of Tulane lives in the house that was the mansion of the guy that had United Fruit Company because he put a lot of money in there by the way, the other thing is. That's that Sam the Banana I, Man. Sam, Sam the, the Banana, banana Man's Emory. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam the Banana Man also uh, was very influential in installing Franklin Delano Roosevelt as president.
0: There you go. Interesting history.
1: <laughs> no borders. There you go.
0: Hey, well, tell us about the Max 2870.
1: Okay, so someone has been in regular contact with me, has written software. For the 2870 so that you can control it with a Raspberry Pi and run it on the SDR.
0: Finally, we, we, Finally. We, we issued this call. I told people, I said, believe it or not, you can help Pete Giuliano, yeah. who knows everything, has built everything, and has done everything. You can help him with something here and do the software for the 2870. Somebody came through.
1: Yeah, now it's a little it's a little complex about getting installed, and I've got only because I have limited time. I actually physically have a twenty-eight seventy, and I actually have started to load the software in a Raspberry Pi, but just do not have access to a lot of time to be able to do it. But we're real close.
0: I see victory around the corner. Yeah. Cool. Very good. Hey, Pete, are you going to take time for field day? Are you going to do field day? Two two hours. Two hours. You going to do two hours? That's that's okay. That's it's, it's in keeping with our our normal solder smoke kind of aloof snooty we're not going out in the hot and the mosquitoes kind of thing
1: yeah well but this y- year i think you're limited to 100 watts uh-huh so you can't run the kw's oh so wow going to be Bummer. a lot, lot of a comp- lot of competition so actually on um, um, there's a couple of radios i'm thinking of running and and one of them is i've dusted off my atlas 180 i picked up an atlas 180 for a hundred bucks and there was nothing wrong with it. So it, it goes only up to 20 meters. So it looks like I may do a 40-20. 40-20. And All like right. Small there you little go. atlas. All yeah.
0: right. Well, there you go. You, you could win the Southern yes. California Boat Anchors Field Day Single Operator.
1: Yes. <laughs> backyard Division. Yeah. 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 Hey, there you go.
0: Good for that. Hey, Pete, it's time for the Shameless Commerce Division. Yes. We've already covered... Our sponsor parts candy and I put a link on him up on the on the page but listen I thought what we do this time is I would appeal for help from the solder smoke community and I do need some help I need people to watch the YouTube videos now the longer is better and on YouTube success is often based on how many hours people are spending to watch your videos now one of the problems we've had is many of our videos my videos have been quite short, you know, five, ten minutes. We're doing hour long videos now that we're we're posting these videos of the podcast. But look, all I would say is this. If you're, if you're in the shack and you're working on something and you need something playing in the background that's inspirational, you know, think about putting on a solder smoke uh, YouTube video. Just go to YouTube and search for the solder smoke channel. You'll find all of our videos there. Solder Smoke at YouTube. And just just put them on, play them in the background, and this will help us, help me, get up my uh, number of viewed hours there. And uh, I think these videos will be of of interest to you. So you need encourage... that
1: you need that SETI software. The, one? <laughs> the <cell>. SETI
0: software <laughs> in the background, you know. <laughs> the back, the back, <laughs> Pete had the scheme that we would use the SETI software to play in the background. I I, I, I tried the SETI software, and it it, it kept crashing my computers. So <laughs> I sold, I blame the aliens. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, listen, but I mean, remote,
1: every time you turn on a computer, it connects to the YouTube in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so the I have a
0: zillion hours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm as rich as Bezos or Elon <laughs> Musk. There you go. Hey, uh, another thing you could do to help out is put links to the Solder smoke blog on your own web pages and blogs. All these web pages and blogs have a way that you could link to the Solder Smoke blog that helps us because the Google search engines then look and see, aha, thousands of people around the world are linking to this Solder Smoke thing, and um, my ratings will go up in the in the in the Google in the search engine. Search engine optimization is what we're talking about here. SEO, Pete. Um, you know, one other thing I, I would say is I, I would encourage people to use the Solder Smoke blog. There's actually a lot of information. I find myself using the thing quite often and i use it in several ways not only well i'm not i'm not checking to see what articles are because obviously i know what the articles are cuz i put them up there but along the left hand column we have a section devoted to propagation so if you want to see what the a index is what the k index is what's happening with the geomagnetic field what what's predicted for the different bands you could take a look at that right there on the blog if you want to get it updated click on that little widget And it'll take you to the site where it's actually updated to the minute. Below it, I have a couple of links to other propagation sources that talk about what's happening in terms of solar storms, uh, geomagnetic activity, alerts from NOAA. So there's there's kind of one section there along the left. It's along the left-hand side of the blog page that gives a lot of good propagation information. The other thing I would say where it's where it's useful is on the right-hand column of the blog. If you go down a bit you'll see I have links to other blogs and other web pages. And these are updated quite frequently. So sometimes I'll think, hey, I wonder what's going on. what wonder what people are working on. And I'll go over to that section and I'll see, you know, the latest from SWL posts from Thomas, uh, K4SWL, the latest from Farhan, uh, the latest from uh, Mike, Mike Murphy, WU2D, the latest from... Oh, Peter down in in Melbourne, v k three y e, all this stuff. It's updated a lot. so it's a good way to keep in touch with what's happening there. Realize that the ones that you see there, the top ten, are the ten that have been updated most recently. If you click on see all, you'll see all of them. your your blog is there all the time. I saw what I saw the one you put up this morning on prototyping. you know really, really interesting stuff. So use it that way. And then finally, the other thing I would say is, please put comments on the on the articles I mean a lot of times I'll see there's a lot of visitors a lot of people are reading the article but very few comments the comments are really useful I like to get a dialogue going discussing you know what you see comments this is this is true this is not true I, I, I tried this it didn't work links to whatever you're working on things like that so put those comments up there we like comments and we like dialogue
1: I, I turned the comments off. And I'll, I'll tell you why. I get a, all these people are writing me these young ladies.
0: Oh man, well, you, well, you, 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 that's a good move. that you want to stay out of trouble, Pete. Yes. There, it's it's the beret. It's the beret. That's the yeah. thing, man. The beret's causing you a lot of trouble.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> turn off the comments we're,
0: we're not going to make any comments about these comments okay <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> all right hey listen i, I said i was going to talk a little bit about what i have on my bench and i've actually been been quite active uh first i guess early on i was working on a uh, a sony icf sw1 shortwave receiver this thing is from like the the, the late 1980s i think it's a tiny little thing. It's supposedly the smallest shortwave receiver ever made. Sony made a bunch of them. They sold like hotcakes. They were very popular. But they quickly went bad because there were bad electrolytics in it. Bad surface mount electrolytics. Apparently Sony, now there's, there's debate about why this happened. Sony might have just got a bad bunch of electrolytics. Others, more cynical, say that this is a planned obsolescence thing that by putting these capacitors in there, the manufacturer kind of guaranteed that somebody would have to come back and buy a new shortwave receiver after the components went bad. But there's sort of a cottage industry that's developed around the ICF SW1 where you can buy on the internet replacement kits for the electrolytic capacitors. So you, you, you send them like 12 bucks, they send you this little bag with the capacitors in it, and then you then you got to go in there and do the delicate work of pulling out surface mount electrolytics and, and putting in it's hard it's not for the faint of heart it's really scary i i, I lifted a, a pad or two and had to go in there and replace the pads I, I came close to blow and i kept thinking i'm pretty i'm a pretty experienced builder a newcomer would definitely have trouble with this but i i got them in there and it works so i got the thing working it was given to me uh about 10 years ago by my friend john roberts who, who was a ham, and he just, he, it, he couldn't get the thing to work, and I said I'd work that, on it. John,
1: that's, not the, that's not the SCOTUS guy, is it?
0: The the what? No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 a different, a different John Robert. Anyway, uh, anyway. Well, uh, you I,
1: never know in Washington, You never know in Washington, D.C.,
0: yeah, it could, could be right down the road. No, no, no. Um, but anyway, I got the thing working, and one of the things I discovered when I was looking at this was you go on the Internet, and you discover that um, this particular receiver was supposedly, and the, the sources on the internet on this one are quite good, like the, uh, the, the spy museum and things like that. That this receiver was used by people who had a, um, well, shall we say, professional interest in receiving the signals from the so-called number stations. There are these stations where somebody gets on, yeah. and if you tune in, you've been you've been hearing them many times over the years as I have too. You're going across the shortwave band, uh-huh. and all of a sudden you hear six, 15, seven, six. three, two, or sometimes in Spanish dos, 23, 34, y You know, and so you're saying, "What the hell is this?" And the story is that these are transmissions being sent to spies in other territories and they sit down there and they just pull out their Sony ICFSW1 Co- <laughs> write it down and decode it. It says, you know, you know, do whatever your dastardly thing that Boris and Natasha are gonna do <laughs> from with the message from the secret squirrel. Um anyway that was that was kind of interesting. But I got this thing working and once I got it working it went into the box and it will be heading to SSSS. Okay, so that's one That's one thing I've been working on. It was kind of fun. It was hard to do. On the other end of the technological spectrum, from the smallest receiver, now I'm working on the HQ100, which um, I, I picked my HQ. Oh, one one back thing, back to the Sony ICF SW1. I started thinking about the vintage of this thing. This is sort of mid-80s to, to late 1980s. That's the time of the Walkman. I still have my Walkman. You know... Top Gun Maverick and all that. It's out. The original movie was from that era too. So my Walkman and the Sony are both sort of Top Gun, late 1980s era. I started rummaging around in the in the junk box as part of my divide the shack effort. I found my old my old Sony Walkman. Pete, it still works. It still works. At least the radio section in it worked and the motors to spin the cassette, they work too. So I I thought that was pretty cool. HQ100, going further back in time, back to around 1956. Yeah. Um, I picked this thing up in the Dominican Republic in 1993. It was in horrible shape. It had a coating of nicotine all over it. It had been the victim of power supply surges through the AC line cord and probably nearby lightning strikes through the RF antenna input. Um, I picked it up. It was one of my first kind of repairs on a uh, tube-type rig. One of the IF cans was open. I replaced that. but And then it's sort of been limping along, but it hasn't really been working too well. I've, I've had it paired up with the DX100. I used it on AM. Not working too well. A lot of things wrong with it. So I finally decided, okay, I'm going to start working on this thing again. And I pulled it out, and I found all kinds of things that were wrong with it. And I started repairing it. There was a problem with the, the BFO switch, the AVC wasn't working right, the S meter wasn't working right. The, um, there were all kinds of things. I never really used the Q multiplier properly. You know, I've been scornful of Q multipliers. They're basically little regen receivers that have worked their way into otherwise nice But I But once I got the problems worked out, I realized how useful and powerful that Q multiplier could be in a receiver that has no crystal filters, no mechanical filters, no filters at all, other than the 455 KCIF cans. But man, you turn on that Q multiplier, you tune it right, it really narrows it down. You get single signal reception, really nice. So I, I started really liking the HQ100. To the oh, I found I found that one of the um, one of the antenna input coils in the RF amplifier. Was shorted, and this was screwing up the AVC. I had to fix that. So there was a lot of kind of good good repair stuff. You know, when you when you're repairing something, you want the problem to be hard to diagnose, difficult to find. You don't want to just go through this whole thing and then find out, oh, the the switch was dirty and it just needed a shot of, you know, uh, of contact cleaner. No, that's that, that's kind of oh, okay. You want instead to find out, oh yeah, one of the little wires inside. T1 was shorting from primary to secondary. And that's why the AVC wasn't working. That's what happened with me. That's kind of a cool repair. All right. Anyway, so I I fixed this thing up and I started to like the HQ100. I'm listening to it all the time. I'm listening to WRMI out of Miami. I'm listening to Radio Marti. On 40 meters, I could hear Radio New Zealand in the morning around 72.45, somewhere around there. They're booming in with droning on about the news from New Zealand. I mean, it, the news from New Zealand is, I got to say, really boring, <laughs> but um, it's fun to listen to. So I've left it on the on the bench. It's right next to the computer here. I put a picture up on the blog, but then now this created a gap. What am I going to listen to on 80 and 40 meter AM with the DX100? I started looking around. This is, again, part of the, the Southern Shack, Southern, Southern Smoke Shack South kind of decluttering. And I, I found the mate for the Mighty Midget perfect to 75 and, 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 and 40 meters. And I started fooling around, tweaking, working on that again. It was sort of halfway working, but not working too well, but I had to go in there and address some problems. So I looked at it. One thing I found the detector circuit, you know, if, when you've been in this, in this hobby for a while, you start looking at schematics and you say, I know you do this all the time. Why did he do that? So, Lou McCoy, in his 1966 QST article, had a detector circuit in the Mate for the Mighty Midget. Pete, the detector comes right after the 455k CIF can and right before the audio amplifier. That's where you would put the detector, right? He's got two diodes, two germanium diodes in there. Your beloved germanium devices, two germanium diodes in there. Okay, so far, so good. But the input capacitor is 100 pf the output capacitor of the detector is 100 pf holy cow when you look at the reactance of 100 yeah. pf at it's it's bad enough at 455 kc at the input there it's about i think it's like 1.5 ohms. at the output at audio it's in the megaohm range no wonder this thing was deaf and I looked in there and I started seeing. You know, I built this thing 30 years ago and been poking away at it ever since. And I started seeing repairs and mods that I did 20, 25 years ago. And no wonder I put a 0.1 microfarad cap across the output 100 PF cap. That was probably the only way I got it working. So I started talking, and um, Scott, who has also been working on the Mate for the Mighty Midget, You know, he came back and told me, he said, man, they changed the detector circuit. You know, if you look at the 1966 QST, the original article by Lou McCoy, it's got one detector circuit. But if you look at the same article reprinted in the 1969 ARRL handbook, they've changed the detector circuit. They got rid of the two 100 PF caps. They got rid of the the second germanium diode. And it's just they uh, they they have it running that way, so it's 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 pretty it's pretty simple, and uh, much simpler and work and working much better. So anyway, that's the uh, the mate for the mighty midget. It's back on the air, and I'm using it on forty meters. Pete, we're getting short on time here, man. We got to go. We could do we could do we could do mailbag, but if you have to run, I'll carry on. Okay? I, I do. I, All right. I
1: have to run, so I'll let you carry on here. Anyway, uh, seven threes from the left coast uh, got a medication run that I gotta make you gotta do. It. I'm, and I'm
0: sorry I was a little late this morning. I got thrown off because we were a, you, you were you were even earlier this morning up at O Dark Thirty. Pete, take it easy. Good luck. And we'll we'll talk to you real soon. I'll carry on with Mailbag. Seven three bet. seven seven three. Okay well, mailbag carries on. All right. Mailbag, solder Smoke Mailbag. Bob Crane, W eight S X, has written in and has sent in some great interviews that Bob did down at FDIM four days in May. They're all almost all of them are up on the Solder Smoke blog. Thanks, Bob. A lot of thought-provoking stuff. Really great. Um, Dave Bamford, W2DAB, has sent in some pictures of stickers. More IBEW. If you know stuff, you can do stuff. Stickers that appeared on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, close, close. I will say to the um, to the place where uh, E. Howard Armstrong uh was was uh uh had his home so very cool there uh Farhan VU2ESE wrote in and Farhan pointed out that the Ladpack software uh is now available Ladpack software is the kind of stuff that we we had for for a long time and uh it would it provided all kinds of great programs that we used in home brewing how to design crystal ladder filters feedback amplifiers all kinds of great stuff developed by Wes Hayward W7ZOI and for a while it was not available it was it had been sent out as as part of a software package that came with experimental methods and RF design but um, anyway it's now available again through W7ZOI's site Um, check it out just search W7ZOI and you'll you'll find it there I have links of it links for it up on the blog our friend Lex Papa Hotel 2 Lima Bravo who has led the charge for sticker placement in the old world, in continental Europe. Um, He sends pictures of some of the stickers that have appeared in a pub in the Netherlands. This is the kind of thing we're looking for, in a pub in the Netherlands. Very good. Thanks for that, Lex. And anybody who needs stickers can write to Lex and he'll send you the stickers. Really good stuff. Um, We got a great email from our old friend Dave, K-A-W-P-E. And he provided all kinds of links to Michigan Mighty Mike building. He also came up with a great idea, which we're calling Old Smoke. He finds uh, old old episodes of Solder Smoke that he finds particularly useful or relevant or nice or, or or interesting. And he let us know about the first one and we reposted it. Sort of like reruns uh, of Solder Smoke. Uh, thanks for that, Dave. He also points out that even experienced builders have a lot to learn from old projects, especially old receivers. And my work on the HQ100, the um, ICF-SW1, and the Mate for the Mighty Midget Receiver really shows that that is true. These are are older rigs, some of them that I built myself uh, or worked on over 20 or 30 years, and I'm still learning stuff from it. So so great stuff there. Thanks for that great uh, message, Dave. Rich, WB4TLM wrote saying that he was in the electronics class of C.F. Rocky, w 9 sch Rock, the Rock, is a legend in QRP community. Uh, Many, many articles written by Rock and C.F. Rocky. And Rich talked about his experiences being in Rocky's electronics class. Really cool. I have a link to it up on the blog. Thank you for that, Rich. Uh, Dean KK4DAS, our neighbor here in Fairfax County, Virginia, is working on his dad's HQ 170A. And Dean and I have talked about this quite a bit. This is his, I, I think, his first foray into uh, thermotrons, high voltage, vacuum tubes, radios that glow in the dark. Be careful, Dean. One hand behind your back, old man. Dean's also very active. He's the president of Vienna Wireless Society, and he's been working with their maker group on a variety of projects. He posted some really interesting stuff on mixers their work on mixers and i'm going to put that up on the blog here in the next uh, next week or so i got some great email from our old friend grayson evans kilo juliet 7 uniform mexico kj7um grayson is the author of the really excellent book which is out in a new edition called um, hollow state radio design for the radio amateur and we have links on how you can get that book up on up on the blog really good stuff uh, and Here's what happened. While Grayson and I had been talking about sort of related topics, I discovered that Electric Radio Magazine had some articles about the HQ100. Now, my subscription to Electric Radio has unfortunately lapsed, but um, I have a pretty good stock thanks to my friend Armand, WA1UQO, who gave me a whole bunch of back issues So I have a pretty good shelf of of old electric radio magazines here, which I I really, really uh, treasure. They're great, great magazines. But the ones I needed, I think it was number 380 and number 381, were more recent and they dealt with the HQ100. So I ordered the back issues. They came, and I'm thumbing through it. And right around the, the pages that I'm looking for, I see another article on Mixology written by Grayson Evans. And Grayson talks about how he had the same kind of qualms or misgivings about the way mixers were described, the same kind of qualms and misgivings that I had about the way mixers were described. And he, like I did, sought a, uh, a more kind of intuitive device-based, perhaps less mathematical uh, discussion of how mixers how if you take two frequencies what does it mean to mix them and how does this mixing produce some indifference frequencies so those were really cool articles and i was really glad it's always a great thing when you find you're on the same frequency or in the same sheet of music with a guy like Grayson evans so (laughs) thank you i'm glad i'm glad i found that pete eaton our friend uh talks about farhan's new analog rig the rig is called daylight Again, stand by for more info on this from Farhan. Stand by. Um, Will, K I 4 P O V, he wrote to us about a new homebrew Alfrexco single conversion super hat that he built. Fine business, Will. Keep up the good work. Alvin, N5VZH, wrote to ask me if I had ever heard of or received a copy of Gene she- Shepard's book, I Libertine. Yes, I, I have the book. A, a reader sent it to me. And, um, well, Alvin, I'll just tell you this. I laughed. I cried. It changed me. Um, Chuck, K-F-A-T-I, he wrote to us recently about a TV series that he watched as a kid called Mr. Wizard. What a great TV series this is. I, I, I liked it so much. It, a lot of it now is available on YouTube and I found the one where Mr. Wizard talks about electromagnetism. And I put that up on on the blog. Check it out. Um, Mr. Wizard, uh, great stuff. And a whole a whole YouTube channel devoted to Mr. Wizard. So you guys can, can can take a look at that. It's really great stuff. We heard from Steve, our old friend Steve, N8NM. Steve is on the mend after some routine maintenance. I'm not going to say any, anything further. But uh, best wishes there, Steve, and it sounds like you'll, you'll soon be back on the air uh, with a lot of those, maybe maybe even with an S38, yes, our beloved S38s. And uh, Ben, AB4EN, he wrote to say that he likes solder Smoke, likes the podcast, and listens. We're really glad you're, you're listening, Ben. Thanks for the email. All right, that's about it. Let's see how long we've been on here. I, I, can't, even, I can't even see the, the time that we've been on. But uh, it's been a while. Um, thanks very much for listening. I'm glad uh, I'm glad Pete came in. I was a little late this morning. Pete had, Pete had gone even earlier into O Dark 30, and I showed up late. I'm sorry. But anyway, thanks very much. Uh, and Pete has already passed along his 73s. I'll say 73 from Northern Virginia. Thanks a lot.
1: Ooh, that's awesome.
0: The Sodder Smoke podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soddersmoke.com. Our blog, the Sodder Smoke Daily News, is at soddersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke that's one word, at yahoo.com. Sodder Smoke is listener supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book Solder Smoke: Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from Lulu.com.